Project Green with Bobby Kerr. With thanks to ESB Networks, connecting you to a clean electric future. ESBNetworks.ie. Now, this is Project Green with Bobby Kerr. Over the next six weeks, we're exploring sustainability within businesses and discussing the steps industries are taking to reduce their carbon footprint. This week, it's all about agriculture. To talk to me about what the agriculture industry is doing and what it could be doing moving forward in its attempts to get carbon neutral. I'm delighted to be joined by PJ McCarthy, he's the Chief Executive of Renewable Gas Forum Ireland. Hannah Daly is a lecturer in Sustainable Energy and Energy Systems Modelling at University College Cork. And Darren McCullough is a farmer, a third generation farmer, even at Elmgrove Elm Farm up there in uh, Gormanstown in County Meath. So you're all very welcome and I, as I said, we're going to talk about about farming and maybe we just talk a little, little bit about uh, each individual contributor this morning. We might start with you, Hannah, um, a lecturer in sustainable energy and energy systems modelling. Just what exactly is that? Hi, thanks for, for having me on. Happy to be here. Um, so I, I'm a lecturer in UCC and I'm a, I lead research in the Marai Institute. Marai is the SFI Centre for Climate Energy in the Marine um, and, and I sit within the School of Energy Engineering in UCC. I teach undergraduates and postgraduates aspects about sustainable energy, climate change and climate mitigation. And I supervise PhDs. But I, le- I lead a, a group of, of researchers um, to understand what are climate mitigation pathways that are consistent with our climate targets and obligations to 2030 and to 2050. Um, we're funded by the government and we've recently been working with the Climate Change Advisory Council as well to help them inform their con- deliberations of, of carbon budgets, um, which was released just, just this week. Okay. All right, Hannah, stand by and we'll be back to you in a second. Uh, PJ McCarthy, Chief Executive of the Renewable Gas Forum of Ireland. PJ, the forum itself, uh, it's around since 2014, I believe. Who are you and what is your ambition? Morning, Bobby. Thanks for having me on. Um, We're an industry forum that represents the interest of the full supply chain of renewable gas in Ireland, both north and south. So we look to influence policy and legislation and creating suitable market conditions for renewable, for the production of renewable gases, but also for uh, satisfying consumers' need and demand for uh, alternative uh, renewable heat technology solutions and renewable gases of bio LPG. Okay, can and I just, just stop you there because I want to just get my head around uh, renewable gases. Sure. Just, just in layman's terms, just describe what they are and maybe mention a few of them. Okay, renewable gases is an equal alternative to the fossil gases. Okay, so they, they're equally as, as, as useful. That's a man-made process. Yeah, renewable gases comes from a natural biological process. I mean, you have methane emitting every day from various different biological processes and feedstocks uh, in agriculture and, and other uh, chemical or, or sorry, commercial uh, uh, materials that are biodegradable. So it's a, it's a natural gas. It's We're capturing it and we're upgrading it and putting it into the grid. Okay, so we'll come back to that in a second. So... We now understand what biomethane is. We'll talk about the cost of, I suppose, delivering it and how uh, maybe farmers and agriculture can embrace it a, a bit later on. Mm-hmm. I-, I want to bring in somebody who is, who's an actual farmer up at Elm Grove Farm, and he's Dara McCullough. He's also a well-known broadcaster. Dara, you're very welcome to the programme. Dara, 
can I just talk to you about farming and emissions and like there, this it's it's it, we hear a lot of you know generalizations around farming and how farmers need to be doing better and all sorts of extreme things like you know uh, culling the national herd and all that sort of stuff but can you just maybe put us at a high level just talk to us where you believe farming the farming sector is at around carbon emissions and renewable energy yeah, uh, so at a high level, Bobby, agriculture accounts for just over a third of Ireland's total emissions. So it is a big source of emissions in Ireland. And the main reason for that is because we have a sector that's so heavily dependent on the ruminant. By that, I mean the cow and uh, more specifically the dairy cow. So uh, we have about two million cows, just over two million cows in Ireland. Most of those are about 1.4 million of those are dairy cows. There's another about 800,000 suckler cows. So you're talking about 2.2 million cows and they generate a lot of methane. And the problem right. with methane is that it's 27 times more uh, potent than CO2. So that's the big source of emissions. What can they do? Um, well, uh, at the moment, I suppose farmers are very anxious um, because They've got these targets being uh, announced to, to cut emissions by at least 21% and maybe 30%. And currently, the technology to actually do that, uh, it will only get them to about 18% max. And that's if every farm in the country adopts measures. And measure by measures, I mean things like um, changing how they spread slurry instead of firing up into the sky injecting it into the ground that stops the gases uh, flying off into the atmosphere Um, things that we've done on our farm we've started sowing what are called multi-species swords so that's a kind of a mix of different species of forages for the cow Uh, why does that make a difference to emissions well one of them is clover and clover is kind of a magic plant because it's able to uh, fix or Uh, source its own nitrogen from the atmosphere. Pretty amazing thing. Um, So basically, you're able to cut out uh, artificial fertiliser. And artificial fertiliser is the other big source of emissions in Irish agriculture. So you might be thinking, well, hang on a second, why doesn't every farmer uh, use clover, save money on fertiliser and save the planet in the process? The reason that that hasn't been happening wholesale up to now is because it takes more management. Uh, clover is a little bit more finicky. <laughs> it right. tends to get slower, slower grown in the springs, uh, dies off earlier in the autumn. And the thing that uh, most Irish farmers have been relying on is a thing called perennial ryegrass. And it's a bit like the, the rooster of Irish potatoes or the Frisian of the Irish dairy world. It's just a good old reliable, does exactly what it says in the tin, produces piles of grass, especially when you heal a, a heap of uh, fertilizer on it. Okay. So so it's simple. Some of the things. Yeah, no, and that's yeah. that's a very good that's a very good overview, Dara, I think uh, because again, I think certainly people like me get confused when we hear, you know, all the dialogue that's out there at the moment. And you know, and you know, it, just to distill it down into what the actual problem is, you know, and the problem is different on different farms as I now understand. And then what we can do then, you know, as a group to tackle each individual component. And, and you, you some very good suggestions there, which we'll come back to. PJ, can I go back to you? Uh, when we hear Dara talking there about, you know, life on the farm and methane and that, 
what can you you do to help the likes of him? Um, we've designed an integrated business case, Bobby, that's the AD biomethane, and that's anaerobic digestion. We have presented that as a, a complementary discipline to all of the farming disciplines. Uh, and Dara is spot on. I mean, there's some um, fixes that are there that can be integrated and easily adopted by farmers. Uh, and the anaerobic digestion can help with slurry management, can help with... And again, I'm sorry to ask <coughs> you to explain it to me, but I'd like you to explain anaerobic digestion. What would it mean in Dara's? He'd have a big unit on his farm and what would go into that and what would come out of it? Yeah, I mean, some people might be familiar with the above ground slurry tank. So basically it's it's one of those circular tanks units uh, with a membrane cover uh, on the top, it's a dome, and that captures the methane. So the slurry is co-digested with other feedstocks, such mm. as the multi-species that Dara referred to and some other um, sequential cropping, okay? So it gives a, a farmers an opportunity to have a diverse income by capturing that methane. And what we do then is we upgrade that um, biogas. We separate the methane from the biogenic CO2, capture those products and uh, put the methane into the grid. And again, so we're going, just uh, going back to Dara's example, using this anaerobic digester, he can sell... Uh, the energy it generates onto the grid. Is that right? Absolutely. So yeah. and, and instead of leaving it up into the atmosphere, I mean, there's new regulations now that all slurry storage needs to be uh, covered. So taking it a step further, you uh, develop your anaerobic digester. It, it is a dedicated unit. Uh, it, you can't adapt the existing infrastructure. You have to build new infrastructure. But answering your question, yes, Dara can then have a source of income from biomethane. And just before I go back to Hannah then, PJ... Uh, obviously, the business case you mentioned. So, Dara buys the anaerobic digester. It costs X. He gets Y from the energy he's able to sell on on the grid. What's the business case for the farmer to, to engage in such an activity? Well, the, the business case is being developed around three main work streams, right? One is your development of your indigenous biomethane industry. Second to that is utilising the digestate as an organic fertiliser. So, instead of maybe perhaps spreading your raw slurry, that you'd process your slurry in the digester, take the gases removed from uh, this raw slurry. You capture the energy from the crops, such as the multi-species, um, and that fertilizes the ground, displaces artificial fertilizer. It's a far more homogenized material, so it's better for the soil, soil regeneration and the plants. Productivity is is very much on par, okay. so there's no compromise in productivity. It actually improves yeah. it, but it also improves water quality, air quality, and biodiversity. All the key elements that we want to encourage back into the ecosystem. Okay, let me bring in uh, uh, Hannah. <coughs> and I'm sorry it's taken me a while to get <coughs> you, Hannah Daly, lecturer in sustainable energy and energy systems modelling at UCC. Just um, Hannah, we're a bit of an outlier in if we if we benchmark ourselves against Europe, um, I think a third of our greenhouse gas emissions originate from our livestock-focused agricultural sector, as, as I think you yourself have pointed out. Uh, does the, we're much higher than any other EU country. But, you know, isn't that because we're such a great producer of, of food that we export? 
Yeah, we, we've specialized in, in producing products from ruminant animals because of our grass based systems. And, and this is why our, our greenhouse gases are so high, about 50 percent higher than the EU average. And the per capita emissions in Ireland are only second um, to, to Luxembourg, where, where um, there's a lot of fuel tourism. Um, and and Dara pointed out very well the the, the, the two main sources of greenhouse gases for, from from our industry from from uh, methane, which is burps and and manure from cows, and nitrous oxide, which is which is a very potent greenhouse gas, and that comes from um, fertilizer spreading. So the solution, like anaerobic digestion, which PG mentioned, has has a lot of wins. You know, it has it has a great business case, but it also has many wins for the climate, because the thing about methane is it's actually while it's a greenhouse gas, very potent warming greenhouse gas, it's also the same component as natural gas that we use in the grid to, to, to heat our homes and so on. So if you uh, if you manage to actually capture the, the methane um, instead of emitting it to the atmosphere um, and, and upgrade it to be able to sell it as natural gas, then you're all, you can also displace this fossil fossil gas. So even burning it as burning it causes CO2, but that is um, so it's much, much less impact than um, than um, than the um, than the methane so it and it also uh, can displace some of the artificial fertilizer so we need kind of solutions like that we need to create this biomethane industry to, to create these i suppose solutions that are there are wins for farmers and wins for the climate yeah. there are many other things as well that, that, that we can look at um for example um unfortunately our grasslands um while some a lot of our grasslands are, are what's called mi under mineral soil which means they, they they can sequester carbon dioxide from the atmosphere uh, a small but very significant proportion of our grasslands are uh, under what's called peaty soils or organic soils. Those are basically grasslands that have been drained um, and, and, and improved over generations. You know, this huge work that has happened over, over generations. And unfortunately, these are a very, very large source of CO2. So about 8 million tonnes from, from these peaty grasslands. That is around the same as our power industry, actually. And now these are starting to be counted in the, in the climate, in the carbon budgets. So that will have consequences for farmers as well okay. uh, for landowners um, and it also will count this carbon sink from forestry and from from um, from other practices on soils that might be able to draw down co2 from the atmosphere so hopefully that will create an incentive to, to manage the land in a way which um, uh, you know which which actually draws down co2 from the atmosphere um, but the problem with forestry is, well, there's many problems with forestry at the moment. We don't really have a very good kind of industry or culture with forestry. You know, landowners are um, understandably reluctant to, to, to switch over their land uses, that land use to forestry. And also, if you plant, if I, you know, if we cover, you know, 5% of the country in forests right now, they wouldn't actually start to draw down CO2 in earnest until 20, you know, until the 2030s, until they're kind of mature. We also, okay. as well as having a, a climate crisis, we've also declared a biodiversity crisis. And of course, the kinds of trees that the farmers have been incentivized to plant the Sitka spruce, um, while they're great at producing kind of timber crop very quickly, they're not great for, you know, native wildlife and so on. So the, the how we use our land you know, whether it's re-wetting, what we're spreading on it, what we're planting as well. We all have to kind of think forward in, in terms of both biodiversity, both food, climate, and also, um, you know, we're, we're right now we've got a big focus on 2030, which is which is um, which is very important. Right. This 20 to 30 percent reduction from 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 agriculture. But this is one step on the road to climate neutrality in 2050. And, and climate neutrality in 2050 means as few emissions of CO2 as possible. So all, like net zero CO2 okay. and reducing uh, methane substantially. So methane, because it's a short lived gas, 
that that can that doesn't have to go to zero, but it does have to fall very substantially. And we haven't landed on a, on a kind of an agreed target for methane yet, but that will. So we kind of have to see. 2030 not as the endpoint, but as a, as a pathway to some sort of new way of uh, a new agri system, a new food system, which um, which take these things into okay. account. Dara, Hannah said an awful lot there. I'm just uh, I'm trying to digest it uh, because it's 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 there's a, so many moving parts in mm-hmm. in in this in this whole debate. Um, but like if I listen to what PJ said and even there enhanced by what Hannah said. Why doesn't every farmer in the country then have an anaerobic digester if if it's such a good idea for everybody? There's surely there's some reason that 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 hasn't happened. Yeah, there's a couple of apparent no-brainers out there, Bobby. That uh, from the outside looking in, you'd say, why hasn't this happened years ago? So. Um, I'll just talk about my own farm for a second and then I'll I'll go back to the anaerobic digesters. On my own farm, we put up solar panels a year ago. Um, They are one of the best investments I've ever made. They are going to pay for themselves in about five years. But uh, it only makes a lot of sense on my farm because I use a pile of energy. One of the things that we do on our farm is we grow daffodil bulbs and we have to dry them every summer. We turn on big fans and blow a pile of air through them and uh, drink a lot of electricity. And it just happens to be the time of the year when the sun is shining most. So it's a, a, it's a perfect fit for my business. If you are like the majority of uh, Irish farmers, you're probably producing beef or you're milking cows. You're not using a lot of energy during the middle of the day. Um, but uh, if every farmer in the country, there's, about, there's over 100,000 farmers in Ireland, and if they put up about 30 kilowatts, which is about 30 grand's worth of solar panels on uh, one shed on their farm, and every farm has a shed, right? And 30 kilowatts of panels isn't a big area. Um, it would be the equivalent of 15,000 acres of solar farm, and it would generate uh, 3,000 megawatts of uh, energy for the national grid. Why is not that happening? You tell me. I mean, uh, the the government has decided that the surplus energy, I spill energy. I only use about uh, 70 or 80 percent of the energy generated from my solar panels. The other 20 or 30 percent is what's called spilt into the national grid, which means I give it back to the ESB for free. Yeah. Now, that's a pretty big disincentive if you're not a big user of, 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 of energy. So the question that I have for the government is, why aren't you incentivizing people to put up solar panels and supply it into the grid? We would get a a, 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 a a great spread of energy across the country from all every parish in the country has a farm and a shed on that farm and on that shed you could have solar panels. Now that's just one example. So go back to the anaerobic uh, digester. Again, the Irish government have dragged their heels for years on uh, creating a feed-in tariff, basically a price that small micro-generators like Dara McCullough and any other farmer out there can get for the the surplus energy that they don't need. And uh, why they've dragged their heels, I don't know. Maybe they feel that the the technology was coming down in price all the time and there wasn't, didn't make sense to be the first movers on this technology. But if you get in a plane and you fly over the UK, you fly over Western Europe, one of the things you'll see is, number one, all the sheds have solar panels on them. And number two, you'll see a pile of anaerobic digesters. So 80 right. units, as they're known for mm. short, are all over Germany. 
and they're a great great way for farmers to diversify their incomes this thing that the government and all kinds of agencies have been calling for for years um, and we can produce grass for free in this country and grass can be a key uh, feedstock for these units i mean so it, it is a no-brainer why hasn't it happened that's where you need to turn to the policymakers and and our leaders, and uh, they and, they <laughs> it, it, they don't have a good case to make, in my opinion. Okay, and just before, just because I want to get all this out on the table, what about forestry, Dara? Um, I'm hearing it's a it's a bureaucratic nightmare for oh, farmers. Man. Yeah, you a know, toxic mess, Bobby. Yeah, I mean, well, again, um, in layman's language, what, yeah. what's the problem? The problem is, if I plant my land, if I want to plant my land, first of all, I don't know who's going to object from where. So there are serial objectors out there, environmentalists who see it as their role in life to put large objections to uh, farmers or landowners that want to plant Sicca spruce. And as Hannah has pointed out, there is a problem with Sicca spruce, i.e., that it, it it's a monoculture crop; it doesn't uh, add to biodiversity in Ireland. But there's also the inconvenient truth that Sicca spruce is the most profitable way of making money out of forestry. And with every um, 10 acres or seven uh, acres you plant a Sicca spruce, you're obliged to to, um, plant three acres or 30% of the area with biodiverse mixed native species. So uh, it's really perverse, but by stopping people planting Sicca spruce, we're also stopping the planting of more uh, biodiverse woodland in the country because uh, if if uh, landowners can't plant Sicca spruce, they're not interested in planting uh, forests of oak because you have to wait 80, 100 years. You're never going to see a return in your on your money in yeah. your lifetime. And then even if you do look are lucky enough to have a forest that has matured and you go, you have to look for a license to harvest it, and then you face more objections. And farmers are really reluctant in the first place to commit their land to forestry because it's seen as, by some, giving up on farming and by others that, uh, you know, the land will never come back into farming. And then to have on top of all of that serial objections from people that, you know, faceless objectors effectively, um, they're kind of going, no, I'm count me out. So then we've got this other head wreck scenario where, you know, forestry is seen as a great way to absorb emissions uh, in Ireland's case, but nobody wants to do it oh, wow. because of the, the environmental blocks that are there. Now, I'm not saying the environmentalists are wrong to be uh, objecting to some of the, the shortcomings in Irish forestry, but my God, there has to be a solution. And uh, at the moment, we've targets to plant 10,000 hectares of forestry a year we're barely doing 20% of that. Okay. All right. Uh, I want to just remind our, our listeners that we're talking about sustainability in Irish agriculture. My guests are PJ McCarthy. He's the Chief Executive of Renewable Gas Forum Ireland. Hannah Daly is a lecturer in Sustainable Energy and Energy Systems Modelling at University College Cork. And Dara McCullough is a third-generation farmer uh, from Elm Grove Farm up there in Gormanstown in County Mead. PJ, I want to come back to you because what I'm hearing here is that farmers, we need to follow the money here, that farmers need to be encouraged to change, but we need to pay them for what they do. So if if someone wants to put in uh, an anaerobic digester, if somebody wants to get involved in wind energy and sell it back to the grid, 
we need to allow to, them to do that in a structured way, but we need to credit them and we need to pay them for, to do that. Absolutely, Bobby. And I mean, we see the farmers as being central players in uh, solving the, the decarbonisation of our economy. So through the production of biomethane from their existing resources and growing crops and a diverse diversifying into the multi-species that Dara mentioned earlier on. So they have three opportunities really to generate income. One is biomethane. Second one is producing uh, organic fertilizers or biofertilizers from the digestate. And there's a whole area around the digestate where there can be other uh, bioactive products, biostimulants can be uh, extracted from digestate. Uh, and the research is done. There's a lot of uh, good work being done by Tagusk and other research institutes. The third item, which is the key item, uh, is carbon sequestration, which is in, incentivizing farmers to use their soil to sequester carbon. The soil is a carbon sink. So, I mean, you have significant opportunity there to structure carbon farming so that the farmer, when he's putting in his... Uh, organic fertilizer onto land and applying it onto land to grow his crops. He is, in addition to that, improving the soil health. He's regenerating the soil, and he's displacing artificial fertilizers. So, for any food producer, Bobby, this is absolutely key. Ninety percent of the carbon footprint and food production comes from within the farm gate. Okay. This is a burning issue for for our pillar industries in the agri-food and beverages sector. So you have, through the European Green Deal and the Farm to Fork initiatives, carbon labelling is coming down the track really quickly. And this is looking at informing the consumer globally. We export uh, 14.4 billion of our products every year. We employ 164,000 people in the industry and the farmer is absolutely key to all of this. What we need to make sure we avoid is the scenario that all of this starts happening and we're playing catch-up. Okay. We have to act now and we have to put the policies <clears throat> in place to support that on-farm anaerobic digestion to deliver those diverse incomes and they can be complementary to what farmers are already doing. Yeah. Hannah, can I go back to you? And just uh, It's kind of a question that's sort of been bothering me. If we, decree, if we decrease uh, the level of methane and CO2 in this country... There, therefore, we produce less food. So somebody somewhere else, the, we, we produce less food that's exported. So somebody else, somewhere else, has to increase their carbon footprint. Is that taken into account when we look at that, that, it, that we don't displace the problem to another country? That's a very good question. And it's, it's, a, it's a phenomenon known as carbon leakage. And it's taken into account in the Climate Act. And the government will, will take this into account when they're setting the sectoral uh, carbon ceilings. And it's, there's no easy answer to this. So we don't know what's going to happen if, let's say, for example, if we stabilized milk production, if we you know stabilized milk um, uh, uh, production and exports, that would lead to a slow decline in the dairy herd. And that's probably what's going to happen in New Zealand. New Zealand have set a target to reduce methane emissions by 10%. And that requires, according to their climate council, stabilizing milk production. And then because methane per litre of milk is going down with these efficiencies, uh, that, would, that would lead to slowly declining dairy numbers because uh, milk per cow is going up. 
Um, and that, now what would happen? So what would happen to that sort of milk that we, uh, you know, in the world to the milk that we would have exported, let's say, we don't know what, what's going to fill that. We don't know whether, you know, what, what, whether it's going to be filled one for one. Maybe we're um, sort of encouraging extra milk consumption in the world. Um, through marketing, uh, maybe a country with a worse carbon footprint will will fill that market need. Um, a worse carbon footprint, like like if it comes from uh, systems with with less environmental credentials than ours, but it also uh, could be filled by a country with with better environmental credentials. So we don't know what uh, what will happen. Um, I mean, I, I'm not an expert in this, and we we don't know you know exactly what what will happen. But it it, it depends on. Um, other countries production systems and it also depends on trade agreements you know whether the eu is importing beef from brazil for example and we do need to advocate against trade agreements like that we need to we need to be clear about that um, but we also need to be clear that and um and pj mentioned this that the carbon labeling is coming down the line well we do produce um milk and and beef relatively carbon carbon efficiently you know we're among the the, the most carbon efficient in the world um it's still a, these are still very carbon intensive foods you know if you compare uh, beef to say a, 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 a pork or chicken or or some you know protein from another source from plant source uh, beef is by far the worst in terms of carbon footprint so you know if, if i'm faced in the shop if i'm an environmentally conscious consumer and i see you know irish beef which is great uh, and it has it has a very high carbon footprint compared to say chicken. We might see consumers go towards move away from red meat uh, and move towards you know there's 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 radically new types of meat coming down. There's lab meat. There's you know um, there's there's the Impossible Burger I tried um, a, a couple of years ago, which which is incredible. It's you know it's 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 exactly like um like a beef burger, you know and 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 the like some uh, McDonald's and and um and Burger King are starting to use these things. So we have to be aware of these consumer sentiments as well and and you know make sure that uh, that we are diversifying farmers incomes um like that uh, like going towards renewables like going towards um biogas and uh, and, and 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 trees um so Dara, if we go back to you listening to to uh, everything that i've heard here today um just the f- the farm of the future then the so and i know you do a lot of things you grow flowers You've 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 got uh, you've got some some uh, poultry. You've got you've got a, a mix dairy of dairy cows. I've, I've got the, the big offenders dairy yeah, cows. Dairy, yeah, dairy. Yeah, forget about them. <laughs> yeah. So so if I'm looking at a farm of a future, say ten years down the road, mm-hmm. and I went up to your farm in Gormanstown, would I be likely to see like a windmill, uh, you know, generating energy, uh, the anaerobic uh, digester as PJ mentioned there in other words that you're an energy producer as well as a farmer and you're being paid for both is that is that what we need to try and achieve here I think in my particular case you're certainly going to see more solar panels Uh, so my uh, very definite plan for next year is to put up more solar panels because they've worked out really well for me so far the anaerobic digester I mean um we we've a large uh, i'm working in partnership with my neighbor on a dairy uh, unit and so there's nearly 600 cows in that herd so it's a very large herd and in theory we would be ideally uh, placed for an anaerobic digester but here's um uh, a, a piece of information that's important we we grow the grass for the cows if we're going to stick it into a digester uh, there's not enough to feed the cows so we don't have surplus grass all every blade of grass it goes into a cow's mouth Right. Um, 
So what can go into the digester is slurry, but slurry isn't enough for the, the anaerobic digester. You need some other feedstuffs to go in there. So you're talking about maybe waste from the food sector or something like that. But that's a whole other business to manage and operate. And as I kind of say to remind a lot of people when they ask me about this kind of stuff and diversification and all the rest of it, it's, it's pretty full-on job being a farmer, whether it's a dairy farmer or a beef farmer. You're not else. looking to get into a new business, basically. <laughs> well, it, it just takes a whole other layer of management, a whole different set of skills. I think there's probably scope for a cooperative type of approach. And I know that the uh, anaerobic um, uh, digester sector, if I can call them that, are, are kind of buddying up with Irish dairy co-ops with this this kind of blueprint in mind. So I think we probably will see some um, cooperative style anaerobic digesters pop over, over around the country where, you know, feed is, is brought into them or slurry is brought into them from neighbouring farms. Well, maybe PJ and, could uh, respond to that, Dara. Maybe PJ could help us with that. Yeah, look, as I said in the opening piece, uh, the anaerobic digester uh, on-farm is is designed and we've designed this integrated business case that is complementary to all all farm disciplines. And and Dara is right. I mean, farmers do what they do best at farm. And look, if you, as mentioned, this is an opportunity to manage slurry. Um, For the farmers that are probably not at the scale that Dara's at, you have one-third farmers uh, losing money, you have one-third of farmers breaking even. So they're in the perhaps in the the smaller scale of the the beef sector, tillage sector, this is giving them an opportunity to grow the incremental feedstock that would co-digest with the slurry. So, I mean, it's a case of, it's not one one blueprint for for Dara and he has to fit all the criteria. This is designed to be uh, complementary, to bring in the co-op structures Dara alluded to. And we are working with a group of dairy companies, with Project Clover in designing the solutions for that business case. And we've put that to government and the government have been very receptive to that. We are making progress um, and we are expecting uh, some, we've already got some very clear indicators around policy and we're expecting more on the climate action plan. So there are solutions and it is a positive good news story. Hannah, I was reading uh, over the weekend, I was trying to get myself up to speed on this whole subject and I saw that an American... uh, a politician said that if 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 a nation is faced with a choice of increasing the use of coal or of electricity blackouts, they they will choose to increase the burning of coal. Like if we can't get away from that, that that's at a higher level. That's probably our biggest challenge, isn't it? If we start getting power cuts, people will all of a yeah, sudden. Well, we've- we we have we there we have many many challenges facing our our decarbonisation sort of plan, you know across across electricity transport heat farming, you know farming is by no means the only uh, important source of of emissions, and you know methane is is I suppose key because it's short term it can kind of help help to avoid um, climate change in the next couple of decades but it's really CO two that that you know we need to get to zero as quickly as possible so it's sort of all hands on deck to 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 remove all fossil fuels as much right. as possible as quickly as possible we are money point has started up again uh, unfortunately because two of our kind of fossil gas plants in Huntstown and and um and Whitegate 
have had unplanned outages. Basically, they broke down um, and, and and had to go under extensive extensive repair. Um, those are about to be up and running again. So fingers crossed the coal will be a thing of the past uh, before long in Ireland and, and the gas, which is much more uh, carbon efficient than than coal, um, will be will be you know right. necessary to, to, to complement the wind, but also phased out in the 2030s. Yeah, no, um, uh, very, very true. So, and in relation to just coming back to farming and agriculture, if we don't do something collectively as a nation of farmers, if we don't change our ways, um, some other industry is going to have to pick up the slack. Isn't that the way this is actually exactly? Works? And yeah, we, we've we've done modelling in UCC, for example, and let's say if the target given to agriculture was a 20% reduction between 2018 and 2030, you know, because it's worth a third of our overall emissions, that means everything else, that means heat, transport and electricity needs to reduce by 70%. And now that is a huge challenge in 10 years. That is, you know, that is that is very drastic change, lifestyle change. It means breakthrough technologies. It will probably mean, you know, all of those cars that we're buying this year will have to will have to scrap them early, um, and, and 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 you know get rid of oil oil burned in in houses. So obviously that has wide ranging implications as well. Um, so you know we 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 try to be looking for solutions to to get agriculture to to reduce by much more than twenty percent, but. As I think, as Dara pointed out, there's a real lack of, of leadership of uh, in, in policymaking, uh, uh, frankly, in, in, in agriculture to, to develop those solutions that, you know, I think farmers want to change. Farm, farmers are, are only responding to policy and to economic signals. Yeah. Uh, and um, and, uh, and, and, and they need to get the, have the right economic signals, the right policies to, to, to help switch. And we have to be careful, do we not, that he who shouts loudest gets paid uh, that old adage where, mm. you know, that... that yeah, well, gets the oil. Well, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That, that you know, and I think, I think to be fair to farmers, they're well organised, they're well represented, and, you know, they do have a very powerful political place. So, you know, I'm not surprised that they're going to use that. I don't know what you yeah. think about that, Tara. I think I, I must be, admit I, I feel slightly conflicted when I listen to um, some of the farm leaders um, putting out, laying out their, their stall. I mean, as a farmer, if I can talk personally as a farmer, I, I find it immensely frustrating, as I think the general public does. I mean, Hannah referred to, you know, the fact that diesel engines will possibly, will be phased out and possibly become kind of illegal on our roads um, in a relatively short space of time. As a farmer, I feel like, you know, five years ago, I was being told milk quotas are going, here's a great opportunity, um, here's, if you invest X, you'll generate Y, uh, go for it, you'll be doing yourself a favour and uh, lifting the whole national economy in the process. Five years later, we we're told, whoa, back there, you know what, you know all those cows you have? We're thinking of cutting them, um, yeah. and yeah. we we don't really, uh, you know, the fact that that's going to impact on your income is kind of your problem, and and so farmers feel, hang on a second here now, uh, lads, uh, we've put our necks out in the line, you know, our money where our mouths was, and uh, now we're being left to hang out to dry, and I I, I say that, 
in the same breath as I'd say farmers are fully up. I mean, farmers will feel the impact of climate change before anyone else, right? We feel the impact of droughts because there's no grass in the fields or the crops aren't grown. We feel the impact of storms because, again, it'll flatten crops um, and, you know, basically wreck our systems. So we're on the front line in every sense in terms of feeling the impact of climate change and also being kind of tasked with doing something about it. And, and so... We, we, I, I think the leadership has been bad, frankly, on all sides yeah. in terms of both within the farm lobby groups and within the government in terms of showing real leadership. And I'm being honest about this with people. Like, I feel that people have been dancing around this issue for years and not really calling it for what it is. So, you know, we're being told that this is an emergency. OK, well, let's have emergency measures. You know, the, we saw lots of emergency measures being rolled out for COVID yeah. in a hurry <clears> and <throat> look what that achieved. Why aren't we seeing the same urgency about measures for uh, climate change if this is an emergency? So I I think there's a real genuine um, sense of frustration there amongst uh, farmers. They feel like they're they're being rabbit caught in the headlights. They want to do absolutely everything because, you know, it's their uh, income that's on the line. But, you know, we can't turn around the boat overnight. You you know, we just can't turn off the tap of milk. We can't suddenly diversify into a whole load of different things. We can't, you know, magic up a quarter of a million for an anaerobic digester. I mean, you know, we're talking about largely small businesses. Your typical beef farm has 20 cows and a turnover of maybe 10 grand a year. I mean, (laughs) we just need to be very realistic about this. Look, it's been a for me. It's been a fascinating discussion, and it's it's a complex. I, I know I tried to keep it simple, but it is a complex beast uh, to use that analogy. So, I'd like to thank my guests this morning: PJ McCarthy, Chief Executive of Renewable Gas Forum Ireland; Hannah Daly, Lecturer in Sustainable Energy and Energy Systems Modelling at UCC; and Darren McCullough, Third Generation Farmer from Elm Grove Farm up there in in uh, Gormanstown and County Meath and also, as I said earlier, well-known broadcaster and contributor uh, with the Irish Independent. So thank you all this morning and I appreciate your time and your input. Thanks, Bobby. Okay, Bobby. Make sure to subscribe at newstalk.com or through the Newstalk app powered by Go Loud. Next time, we're going to be looking at sustainability in the building and infrastructure sector, so be sure and look out for that. Take care and thanks for listening. Project Green. With Bobby Kerr. With thanks to ESB Networks. National Network Local Connections Programme consultations now open. Get involved. ESBnetworks.ie Considering the role technology will play in the future of education is now a key focus for school leaders. At Exertus Ireland, together with Microsoft, we're here to support schools every step of the way with powerful tools to help create brighter futures. Talk to us today about solutions for your school. Visit exertus.ie forward slash Microsoft Teaching and Learning. Exertus.ie forward slash Microsoft Teaching and Learning.